Welcome to Trinity University's Learning Together podcast series. I'm Nathan Cohn, class of 1995, your host. I work at Texas Public Radio in San Antonio, where we sometimes characterize what NPR does as the nation's biggest continuing education course. That's why I'm excited to be introducing this series featuring faculty, alumni, and other distinguished guests who've established themselves as experts in their fields. Today, you'll enjoy a conversation on the book Intangibles, The Unexpected Traits of High-Performing Leaders by Dr. Amr Kaisi, Professor of Healthcare Administration at Trinity. You know, whether you're an employee, a supervisor, a leader in an organization, it's important how, how others perceive you and whether mm-hmm. they perceive you as approachable or not. And it comes down to simple stuff such as whether you're frowning all the time or whether you have a smile on your face. This is the last of a three-part podcast conversation. Today's focus is on generosity and specific behaviors. Joining in the conversation with Professor Kaisi is current student Janie Thompson, class of 2018 and 2020. So thinking about generosity and leadership, what does it really mean to be a generous leader? And are there any examples that you could provide? Yeah, you know, generosity is one of those other factors that that I look at in the book. And and as you know, time is always a rare commodity, especially Mm -hmm at the highest level in the organization. You know, leaders are typically very protective of their time, and, and rightfully so. so. Given access to, to their time, they, they do that only to a handful of privileged people. But the generous leaders are those that slow down so they can be unhurried and mindful in, in their daily interaction with others. And they're the type of leaders who, who give from their time, from their energy, and from their talents to their employees. You know, you ask about an example. One of the examples that comes to my mind always when I think of a generous leader is, is a guy by the name of Hamdi Olokaya. He, he's the founder and CEO of Chobani. Do you like Greek yogurt? Yes, yeah. Yes, I, I love Greek yogurt too. And, and you know, uh, Chobani is, is a billion dollar company that, that sells really delicious Greek yogurt. Mm-hmm. Um, but the secret behind the fast success of the company is not just the yogurt itself, but it's the deep, it goes deeper in the culture that, that you know, Olokaya has created in the company. So, so Olokaya himself, the CEO, he's a Turkish immigrant. He came to the CEO to to go to school. Or to, he came to the U.S. to go to school, and um, you know he founded this company out of nothing. And what he tried to do throughout, you know, forming the company from the early stage and on is he's always tried to treat everyone right in his organization. Mm-hmm. He paid everyone well above minimum wage. Um, you know, everyone who works in the factory gets the same holidays as everyone who is an executive. Um, they give health benefits to everyone. Um, there are examples of of his generosity when when you know the staff had to work a Christmas night shift once, and he brought them prime rib for dinner, wow. and he he served it to the, to them himself. Um, you know, one day he took the the founding five employees um, to watch the Olympic Games in London. At, you know, from, from out of his own yeah. pocket, um, he hires refugees. You know, last year with the refugee crisis in the Middle East and all of mm-hmm. that, so he he's bringing in refugees to work there and and he helps them with translation and transportation and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of examples where the way he treated his employees have benefited um, his organization. And then the final thing that he's done was was really amazing. You know, Chobani is not owned by, um, um, you know, um, investors. It's still a private company. Mm-hmm. But what he has done is he announced recently that he's going to give his employees awards worth up to 10% of the company when it goes public. So, so what this means is these awards could be equivalent to anywhere between $150,000 to a million dollars per employee. Wow. And he said, you know, he, he's doing this not as a gift, but rather as a mutual promise to work together mm-hmm. with a shared purpose and responsibility. So, so I really think that, that examples like that show us that when you treat your employees in a generous way, 
um, you can really build an organization around a culture of, of giving and, and a culture of kindness. Mm-hmm. So thinking about leadership styles, he really brings to mind this idea of servant leadership that we hear talked about pretty often today. So how does generosity really relate to what certain servant leadership is? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and you're referring here to, to this idea of servant leadership, you know, that was um, advanced back in the 70s mm-hmm. and about the servant leader being a servant first, right? Like that's someone who has this natural feeling of wanting to serve others, to serve first. Um, you know, servant leaders, what, what they have is, is that they are the type of leaders that listen, right? They have empathy, they focus on healing, um, stewardship, they're committed to the growth of their people and, and the building of their communities. So there's definitely a lot in common between the idea of, of a servant leader and a generous leader. Mm-hmm. This idea of servant leadership can also kind of be overwhelming towards a normal person who's just trying to build themselves as a leader and maybe even make some people anxious. So can you tell me a little more about why that might be? Yeah, you know, a lot of time when, when you're talking about servant leaders, people think that that it's a situation where, where the inmates are running the prison, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if, you're, if you're the leader and you're serving everyone, then they can do whatever they want. And, and it actually, it's, nothing can be further from the truth. You know, you are acting as a servant leader, but at the same time, you, there is accountability. Mm-hmm. So when you think of leadership, there are two aspects of it. There is the visionary aspect, and then there's the implementation aspect, right? Mm-hmm. So servant leaders still set the vision the direction that the organization should take in order to achieve its goals. You know, they decide on what the ideal future look like, provide direction. But once that direction is set, they give a lot of autonomy to their employees to figure out how it should be executed with the support of the leaders. So, so when it comes to the implementation, you know, someone who is a servant leader can facilitate, mm-hmm. can nurture, can support, rather than set rigid rules and policies. And, and to do that, that requires listening to employees praising them, encouraging them, and helping them achieve results. Right. Chobani was a great example of how that generosity can lead to great outcomes, but how do we really know that generosity does lead to high performance? Yeah, you know, b- before we get to, to high performance in organizations, you know, generosity in general in life can really have great effects. So let me, let me share with you this, this one study that they did among, among um, senior citizens. So they looked at older people and they did, looked at, at them in the last 12 months, for example, and saw what kind of stressful life events they've had. And typically when you have a stressful life event as an older adult, like you know the death of a spouse or something like this, that affects your health in a negative way. So among you know, all of them who had stressful life events, there was a 30% increase in mortality, except among those um, individuals who helped others. So individuals who committed to say run help their neighbors were running an errand or or taking them to the doctor or something like that for those stress did not lead to an increase in mortality so so generosity helping others can can buffer the effect of stress among you know everyone now now going back to organizations another great book recommendation that i have is is a, mm-hmm. is a book by adam grant it's called give and take and in the book grant talks about three different types of individuals he talks about givers he talks about uh, takers and he talks about matchers. Mm-hmm. So givers are, are the generous individuals who just give and don't expect anything in return, okay? Mm-hmm. Takers are, are those that are self-centered and they only take, they don't give back. And then matchers are those people who are always like con- counting, you know, one, mm-hmm. one-on-one kind of, um, you know, favors. And, and if you give me something, I'll give you something back. 
The obvious question is which one of these is more effective in organizations, right? The givers, the takers, or the matchers. So there's been a lot of studies done in different professional fields. Let, let me share a couple of these with you. They did this study among professional engineers in California, okay, where, where the um, engineers rated one another on help received and given, and then they were evaluated on objective measures of performance. Now, the results showed that the worst performing engineers were those who were givers, all right? Mm. So those that gave more than they received. Because they spent a lot of time helping others, these, these givers had the worst scores on a variety of different tasks, such as technical reports, and, and they made a lot of errors, they missed deadlines, they wasted money for the organization, okay? Mm -hmm. However, and make sure that, that you, you know, hear this carefully, <laughs> the best performing engineers were also the givers. So mm. the worst are the givers, the best are the givers, and the, the matchers and the takers are in the middle. Okay? okay, so this is among professional engineers. They repeated the same study among uh, medical students in Belgium, okay? Mm -hmm. And again, they wanted to see who gave more than others and who, who helped others, and they looked at their grades. Here again, the students who got the worst grades were the givers who, you know, always helped others, um, you know, wasted their time copying notes and, and helping others study. But also the highest performers were also the givers and the matchers and the takers were in the middle. So we, we're starting to see that there are possibly two types of givers. There are givers on one side who don't reach high performance, and then there are givers on the other side. If you're imagining a bell-shaped curve, you know, the takers and the matchers are the middle, and then the givers are on both sides of that curve in terms of performance. So the first type of givers, the ones that give but get um, poor results, are what we call the pushovers. <laughs> so these are the ones that give but forget about themselves. Okay. And as a result, end up um, not achieving um, good results. Mm -hmm. However, the successful givers are those that give, but still keep their self-interest in mind. So for example, this an example of this would be someone who makes themselves available for others, but still protect their time so that they can get their own stuff done. Mm -hmm. um, here, here I'd like to talk about the importance of giving for leaders. You know, leaders have really this unique opportunity to quote unquote, multiply themselves and, and create networks of givers. This is one of the things that, that Adam Grant talks about it in, in that book that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it as a leader, right, your time is limited. Right. So you can't possibly mentor everyone in their organization. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is, is you can mentor a few people and make it clear that you expect them to mentor others and those others to mentor others. As a result, you create this network and this culture of mentoring and support within the organization that you don't have to do it all yourself, but it's, it's you know, kind of like a pass it forward type right. of deal, pay it forward type of deal. Um, another point that, that I'd like to make about leaders being generous is as a leader, um, you know, you don't have to spend hours and hours with someone to um, support them or to impact their life or their career. Mm -hmm. Sometimes all it takes is short bursts of attention. Mm -hmm. um, imagine there is a new employee that comes in, you know, the, the, the director or the CEO or the leader can come in and just spend a few minutes with them, tell them things like, you know, we really appreciate having you, we really value you, you know, whatever you need, you can call me or something like that. Just, just a few minutes can make a huge effect mm -hmm. on on the uh, performance of that individual and how they feel coming to the organization. Mm -hmm. So being someone who has read your book and seen all of these great leaders that they want to emulate, um, what suggestions do you have for improving on things like humility and kindness and generosity that somebody can specifically begin to implement? 
Yeah, you know, we, we've talked about a lot of models and, and, and some, uh, you know, research evidence, stuff like that. Now we get to the part where, which is what do we do, mm -hmm. right? What do we do with all this information? Um, you know, some of the things that I'm going to suggest are, are just very um, simple behavioral changes. And again, when we talk about behavioral change, you have to remember that, that as a human beings, we can't possibly have a radical personality makeover, right? You can't change the way you are. Right. But what you can do is you can change a few behaviors here and there, mm -hmm. you know, dial up a few things or dial down a few other things. Um, and, and this way you can get a little bit closer to becoming that leader that is, you know, that combines those great traits that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, starting with very simple stuff such as how to listen to others, mm -hmm. right? The unkind behavior is, is to listen to reply. <laughs> the kind behavior is to listen to understand, right? Many right. of us are, are guilty of that. Sometimes we're, we're talking with each other and, and while the other person is talking, you're already formulating a response mm -hmm. to what they're gonna say. Mm -hmm. um, the better way is to listen to understand. And there is research now that's, that's published recently that shows that in the workplace, meetings would go much faster if people just took the time to listen to each other. Um, you know, I've, I made a lot of recommendations for books. Now, now I have a, a TED Talk recommendation. There's a great TED Talk by, by Celeste Hadley. It's, it's titled 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation. And, and she's an NPR journalist and, and she talks about her experience interviewing others as a way that we can all implement to, to better listen to each other. She talks about um, different things. One of them is, is don't multitask when you're listening. You know, um, Use open-ended questions, go with the flow, um, You know, listen, stuff like that. I, I, Highly recommend it. It's a short TED talk, but but she talks about some really good things about how we can become better listeners. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we talked about how to listen, but how about how do we speak? Right? How do we talk to each other? Um, the unkind behavior or or the unkind people are those that are making statements all the time. They're just talking, talking, talking. Mm -hmm. Much better to ask questions. When you ask questions, you tend to learn much more than when you talk. Right. Mm -hmm. um, also, if you're looking for whether someone is is on the humble, kind um, spectrum, watch whether they say I and me versus we and us, okay? That, that's <laughs> another one. And, and here, here there's another study I like to share. It's, it's, a, it's a cool study. They, so they did this study of, um, in Australia of all the prime minister um, election campaigns that have happened since 1900s. And they analyzed their speeches. And what they noticed is that the winners in the majority of the elections um, used we and us significantly more than the losers. The losers used I and me more. So you can see that using we and us makes you look more as a leader from the point of view of, right. of the general public. Hmm. Um, some other stuff about how to speak, you know, sometimes we, we talk to each other and it's, it's a hem, you know, when, we, when I see you in the morning, it's an empty how are you, right? I say, how are you? And, and you're not stopping to listen. We need to strive for a more authentic how are you, where, you know, when you ask me or when I ask you, we're really listening, we really care about how your weekend went or how your family is and stuff like that. Hello, this is Danny Anderson, president of Trinity University. Thank you for listening to the Learning Together podcast series brought to you by Trinity's Office of Alumni Relations and Development and produced here on campus by our friends at KRTU 91.7 FM. We're so glad you tuned in today and we appreciate your continued support of lifelong learning at Trinity University. Welcome back to the Learning Together podcast from Trinity University. I'm Nathan Cohn.
Let's return to our conversation with Dr. Amar Kaisi and Janie Thompson on generosity and specific behaviors. Other stuff that, that I think we can also work on, very simple things that, that can lead to you know, important results is how approachable you are. You know, whether you're an employee, a supervisor, a leader in an organization, it's important how, how others perceive you and whether mm-hmm. they perceive you as approachable or not. And it comes down to simple stuff such as whether you're frowning all the time or whether you have a smile on your face. And, you know, it's an authentic smile. It has to be an authentic smile mm-hmm. when appropriate, when the situation calls for it. But recent research by at Penn State University found that when you smile, you don't only appear to be more likable, but you actually appear to be more competent. Um, not only that, but you know, for, forget about all of that. There's research that came recently that shows that smiling can actually predict how long you're gonna live. <laughs> Are you ready for this one? Oh, no. So, so what they did is they took. I know this is this is interesting research. They took um, baseball pictures. They took pictures of baseball cards of of baseball players from back in the days, and then they tracked them down to see how long they lived, and and they you know, rated them on in the picture whether they had no smile or slight smile or a beaming <laughs> smile, okay? Um, so those that had no smile lived about 72.9 years. Those that had a slight smile lived 75 years. Those that had a beaming smile ha- lived about 80 years. Wow. So, you know, again, smiling is really good for us. So we, we definitely need to be smiling more. Right. Um, Another thing that I would say about how approachable you are is, is how do you listen when others are talking to you? You know, we are all guilty these days of listening while we're checking our phone. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the kind behavior is to put your phone aside. Um, there, there's recent research that shows that having your smartphone nearby takes a toll on your cognitive skills and on your, on your um, you know, your ability to, be, to think creatively. You don't have to be looking at it, just having it nearby. And that's why a lot of organizations these days, what they do is, is they have those small cases in their conference rooms. The minute you walk in into a conference room, they ask you to put your smartphone in there. Um, you know, when they implemented this in, in some organizations, the, the executives freaked out at the beginning, you know, oh, I'm gonna live without my smartphone for 45 minutes. <laughs> but what they found is when you put your smartphone in that case and then you go in and you focus on the meeting, they were able to be more productive. They slashed their meeting times by half. Wow. Um, because people were focused on the actual conversation rather than on you know checking their phones constantly. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say these are some of the things that leaders can do um, in, in appearing more approachable. You know, we in healthcare we're talking these days about the importance of rounding, right? Mm-hmm. About executives leaving their offices and going to round on their um, supervisors, on directors, on patients. That has been shown to to have great effects, um, but it also extends beyond that mm-hmm. other stuff that, that i would say that we can do as leaders is how we give credit to others right um you know we we talk about the importance of catching people doing something good <laughs> rather than catching people doing something bad and and giving them positive feedback that is prompt that's accurate that's sincere mm-hmm. um you know one one of the most effective ways of doing that of acknowledging others remains the old-fashioned ways of writing a handwritten thank you note. Mm-hmm. You know, a thank you note goes a long way, and, and this is a practice that's common in some organizations in, in healthcare, you know, where, where the CEO writes a handwritten thank you note to the employee and sends it to, to his or her um, uh, home address. I mean, imagine the impact of that. When <laughs> if you get a handwritten thank you note from the CEO and you open it in front of your family and, and um, the impact that that has on you and that it shows you the the commitment of the organization, um, 
there's an example of of a great leader um, uh, called Douglas Conant, Doug Conant, who who led Campbell's Soup um, for a long period of time, and and you know one of the secrets of his success, he he was CEO for ten years, and and he wrote about thirty thousand handwritten thank you notes during his tenure, wow. and he said this was one of the main reasons why he was able to turn around the morale of the employees in in his company. Mm. Um, so again, a lot of different things that we can do. Um, as leaders, as employees. And another thing is how to have a difficult conversation, how, how to give negative feedback, right? Right. Um, even when you are having a tough conversation with an employee and possibly it's a termination um, conversation, mm-hmm. which sometimes has to happen. You have low performers, you give them different chances, they're not performing. Even in that situation, you need to keep in mind that you have to keep the dignity of the employee mm-hmm. and, and not to demean them or, or to talk to them in an insulting way. You know, at Google, they, they call it being tough without being an SOB. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you can, you can be tough. You can deliver bad, uh, I mean, uh, you know, difficult news or bad news. You can have a tough conversation, right. but you do that in a kind way and, in, in you know, in a respectful mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Are all of these improvements something that we can expect to accomplish on our own? Yeah, you know, you know, some of these are are easy to do on your own, but but I think you can also ask others for feedback. You know, so one one of the things that you can do is you can go out there and collect feedback from ten or fifteen people that you trust. You know, mm-hmm. your coworkers, your friends, your family members, and ask them. You know, when am I at my best? But then also ask them what are some of my not so good behaviors that you've observed? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, this this phenomenon is referred to as as feed forward process, right? It's not feedback, but feed forward, mm-hmm. where, where you can go to others and ask them, first you describe what you're trying to improve. You know, you can tell them, I'm trying to improve my listening skills. Can you give me any suggestions? You know, can you tell me what shall I do to improve? And and the secret here is once others give you suggestions mm-hmm. is to thank them <laughs> and not to get defensive or start making excuses, right? As, as, as human beings, we tend to do that. You know, someone tells you, you should do that more and, and you become defensive or, mm-hmm. or you make excuses. But what, what you have to do in these situations is once you go and ask people, um, bite your tongue after they tell you and say, thank you, you've given me something to think about and start collecting that evidence until you see some patterns emerging about what others are telling you in terms of how to improve. Um, other strategies that people use, especially in organizations, something called the 360 feedback where, where you collect feedback from your boss, from your colleagues and from your subordinate. Now, once you collect all of this, it's really important to take time to reflect on what others are telling you and on your leadership style. And, and you know, a lot, some of the most successful leaders are those that keep a journal, you know, daily journaling, tracking their progress, reflecting on what they did well and what they didn't do that well um, in, in, you know, in their, mm-hmm. in their interactions with others. Some of the other suggestions, you know, if you have the resources to do it, you can work with a coach, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of leaders bring in an executive coach that can help them um, get a more accurate picture of their reality, You know, helps them instill some positive habits of thinking, helps them break down their actions and, and build them back up again, really to, to um, shine a light on some of the behaviors that they wanna change and hold them accountable for these um, behavioral changes. Here again, I have another idea for a TED Talk, a suggestion for a TED Talk. There is a great TED Talk by Atul Gawande 
Um, it's it's uh, the title of it is do you, you know want to get great at something get a coach mm-hmm. and he talks about you know Gawande is a surgeon you know famous writer he talks about how he himself hired a coach to come and observe him doing surgery because he felt like oh. his performance was plateauing he wasn't improving anymore and he needed some direct feedback so bringing a coach can can go a long way mm-hmm. of helping you improve now if you can't afford to bring a coach. I say, use your colleagues or your friends as coaches. You know, ask them to, again, um, ask you tough questions and to hold you accountable for the behavior changes mm-hmm. that you're doing. Finally, I think you know, something that we often forget as leaders is in order to be humble, in order to be kind and, and to be compassionate and generous with others, first, you have to take care of yourself. You know, the basic stuff, eat well, mm-hmm. exercise, sleep well you know research shows that that sleep deprivation leads to all kinds of uncivil behaviors at the workplace mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're shaking your head yeah. here. <laughs> and and you know things like you know meditation a lot of people um swear by the 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 uh, you know significance and the importance of meditation in their life where it helps them um start their day in, in a centered way and, and being able to focus on the behaviors that they focus on so I, i'd say mm-hmm. You know, yes, you can do these things on your own, these behavioral changes on your own, but sometimes it's helpful to to mm-hmm. seek the support and the help of friends, colleagues, family members, or even coaches. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking about leaders kind of generally in an overarching way, but one thing we haven't talked about yet is the difference between um, genders, for example, where, you know, in a workplace, there might be a different stigma for how a woman leads versus how a man leads and the kind of um, expectations people have that, Um, these traits will be something that men versus women display, like humility, kindness, generosity that are, you know, generally attributed to maybe one and not the other. Yeah, you, you know, whenever I'm talking about this to groups, the, the issue of gender comes up and, and, you know, male leaders versus female leaders and how they're rated. Mm-hmm. And, and you're absolutely right. I, I think, and I observed that and the research documents that, that, that females in leadership face a double bind. It's, mm-hmm. it's a double standard, you know. Somehow they're expected to act in a kind and humble way because that's what is expected of women in general. But if they don't, then you start seeing others labeling them as the ice queen. Sometimes the mm-hmm. B word comes up. So, <laughs> yeah. so you know, the, what does the research say here? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll share one piece of research that looked at um, subordinates' evaluation of their leaders. Okay, And, and they um, looked at male subordinates and female subordinates and as well as male leaders and female leaders. And, um, you know, the, the leaders themselves, some of them were humble, some of them were narcissistic. Now, when the male subordinates were rating their male leaders, they rated them equally effective um, whether they were narcissists or not. So if you were a male leader, if you were narcissist or not, your male subordinates rated you the same. However, when the male subordinates were rating the female leaders, they were really harsh in their rating on the female narcissistic leaders. Um, and, and what this tells us is that, you know, from the point of view of those male subordinates, those narcissistic female leaders lack what is stereotypically gender appropriate qualities, such as humility and kindness, mm-hmm. and, and somehow demonstrate undesirable qualities associated typically with the other gender, with men, such as arrogance. So, you know, this combination is, is threatening to the traditionally higher status of males, thus resulting in those poor ratings by the male subordinates. Mm-hmm. So what did the research show when you asked um, female subordinates about their leaders? Yeah, so so the other 
part of this were female subordinates rating their male and female leaders. And, mm-hmm. and in this case, the female subordinates showed no gender bias in their effective evaluation of narcissistic leaders. Now, not, not to end on, on a, you know, a depressing note here, there's, there's more recent research that is showing us that the traits that we typically associate with um, being feminine um, are those that are um, associated with what is needed of a modern leader. So there, this is my last book recommendation, I promise you. <laughs> um, there's a great book called The Athena Doctrine. And in the book, um, they did a study of about 65,000 people in 13 different countries, okay? So first they asked um, half of those people to classify more than 100 leadership traits as either a masculine trait or a feminine trait or a neutral trait, okay? Mm -hmm. And then the other half of those people were asked to rate the importance of these traits to leadership. So the results showed that many of the qualities of an ideal modern leader are ones that were classified as feminine. For example, things such as shares feelings and emotions more openly openly and honestly, um, collaborates, shares credits, understands others' feelings, listens, learns, builds consensus. All of these things were viewed as necessary for modern leaders. So, you know, as, as we think of the complex problems that leaders have to solve today, whether in healthcare or in other industries, um, the evidence is starting to show us that what is needed more is leaders that collaborate, leaders that share, leader, leaders that understand others rather than authoritarian leaders that that make decisions on their own and, and don't seek input from their um, subordinates. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's been great talking to you. And my only book recommendation of the day will be your book, which is Intangibles. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Janie. You've been great. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Today's podcast was recorded and produced by Trinity University's KRTU radio station for the Office of Alumni Relations and Development. New podcasts will be released on the first Tuesday of each month. For more information about our Learning Together podcast series or to suggest topics for future consideration, email us at alumnipodcast at trinity.edu.